Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Salutations, Mets fans. Welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Greg Karam. Greg. Yes. After the latest spring training kerfluffle in the Mets clubhouse, what plate of food, or what type of food, what would be on your plate of food that Bobby Parnell could throw out? It would cause you to go all Matt Harvey on him. And for context, for our for our newer listeners, or for our listeners that are just uh, checking in for their weekly IFK Gothenburg update, that will come later in the show. Um, Matt Harvey, of course, famously got in John Rauch's face after he threw water on him when he fell asleep in the clubhouse listening to his iPod or whatever. So what, what kind of food, what plate of food... Could buy a Parnell throw out that would cause you to go crazy. Uh, see, see, I had this the other way around. I was thinking like, what would set me off to like throw out his pile of uh, pile of food? But in, in no, that's the way- not the way. Even though <laughs> how did I wrote that on? How did you get that out of what I wrote two hours ago? <laughs> I was all prepared. No, but if he if he had like if I had a because uh, I'm a big Chipotle guy, I might as well be a Mets minor leaguer. So if I had a, like a Chipotle burrito in front of me, and he threw that out. I probably would get in his face and be like, "Hey, man, you just crossed the line." For me, I mean, I, I like. Uh, for me, it's a plate. I'm trying to think what sort of my like my last meal, last bite kind of thing would be. I've had a lot of really good bites in my lifetime. But I think for me, it would just be like a full order of uh, Momofuku pork buns. <laughs> that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I would turn on my bearded colleague in that case, my fellow bearded colleague. Does he have those at all his restaurants, or only specific ones? Yeah, you can you can get them at the milk bar. You can get them at like the dessert one. Okay, I've only been. To, I think they do them at Co, which is like his. I, mean, I know you can get them at Noodle Bar. You can get them at Sam. Um, I don't think Co 
Cool. Uh, you can get them at Mont Peche certain times of day. You can't get them at Coke. That's just like a set menu. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a, a tasting menu. Yeah, no, you can I get them at Milk Bar. I, I've been to uh, I've been to Co and I've been to Noodle Bar and uh, I've had them at. How Noodle the heck Bar. did you get into Co? I, I, it was it was a struggle. <laughs> I've been trying to get into Co for years. It was before they, they actually just moved to a bigger location. It was, yeah, the old building. Yeah. Yeah, it was in the old building. It was just like an unmarked door. It was it was actually pretty cool. So I, I would like to say that's the only time we're talking about Noah Syndergaard on this podcast, but it's not start starting pitching preview. We will talk about him in that and nowhere else. Anything that happened on Mets Twitter today, we're not talking about. This is episode 106 of Amazing Avenue Audio. And the agenda is very simple. It's our starting pitching preview, as I have already set forth. So we'll talk about the Mets starting pitching. We talked about the bullpen last week. So we'll move on to happier, I guess, news. Talk a little about Matt Harvey, which should make us all happy. Sure. Talk about Zach Wheeler, and we take a step forward, and what's up with that whole shifting thing. Talk about Jacob DeGrom, what can we expect from him in 2015? And we'll throw John Neese and Bartolo Colon in there, as they are also 2015 Mets starters. And we will find some room for Noah Syndergaard. We talk about other pitchers who might make starts or interesting prospects on the farm who could help in the starting rotation come hell or high intercostal strains in 2015. Don't ask to your emails. Of course, we have two emails, one of which is about Noah Syndergaard's lunch. And it was funny because it came in, it's about spring training kerfluffle specifically, and it came in before the second spring training kerfluffle of the day. I remind you all, Eric Mao, rule one of Twitter, don't tweet. Yeah. But that's sadder news to come. We'll start with the happy news. Um, Tonight, we, shit. It's um, exciting. This is, this is why Fangraphs... What are you watching in the background, Greg? It's fan, I tell you, Fangraphs has been so miserable lately. Everything takes so long to load, and then they have these autoplay ads. I'm, I'm so sick of it. i got to switch to Baseball Reference. It's ridiculous. Baseball anyway. Reference, by the way, also has autoplay ads. I think ah. I've shown up on this podcast before. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I should say at the outset, you might notice I sound a little different this week. Uh, both my computers are dead, and I am on an iPhone. Greg is on a computer. We were recording this on Chris McShane's machine. That is currently muted while he packs report St. Lucie. This is the most lo-fi edition of Amazing Avenue Audio yet. But you get a podcast. So it'll be a short one. We'll be back next week. Hopefully. In some capacity. I might have a computer by then. I don't know. Tony, we got to get that Kickstarter going. Yeah. <laughs> so that starting rotation starts with Matt Harvey. We talked about Matt Harvey a lot in recent weeks. About how they're going to handle Matt Harvey. What can you really expect from Matt Harvey going forward? You know, how should you manage his innings? Is this right, the right field staff to manage Matt Harvey coming off Tommy John surgery? What we haven't talked about, Greg, and I feel like we need to uh, make up for this week, is how fucking awesome Matt Harvey is. Yeah, like, put it into context with the way how good he was that the year before, you know, the year he got hurt. I mean, he was basically, he, he had a, a two-flat FIP. Which is just ridiculous, and ah, it's just so good. And it, when you think about a regression from that level, it's just it's it's just still great. So it's exciting, you know. He is actually a pitcher that has four average or better major league offerings. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, the, and I mean, fifty-five or better. I like his curve more than most, and I guess he's been throwing it more in the spring, which makes sense. We've seen pictures of, like, I guess J.R. is familiar using a change-up grip. That's the stuff that happens in spring. J.R. is familiar is going to throw some change-ups in the spring, in March. Yeah. Matt Harvey's going to throw some curves. Um, we all know the party piece here is the 98-mile-an-hour fastball and the 90-mile-an-hour slider. <laughs> but he's got, I think, two other above-average major league offerings in the change in the curve. I think so. That you have to be aware of, at least. I know I, I tweet out the, the gif of him throwing the change up to Matt Kemp at least once a week at this oh, point. I was at that game. It was fantastic. It's just, oh, man, we're going to watch Matt Harvey pitch. So, yeah, was, he probably won't be as good as he was in 2013 for a couple of reasons. One, he's coming off an injury. And two, you know, by the rates, it would have been the best one of the best Mets pitching seasons in history. And he's just unlikely to repeat that. But it'll be Matt Harvey shoving on occasion, which is pretty nice. It's a point of view. Yeah. 
something to be excited about. Like once a week, you know, you're, you're going to get to do that. You're going to get to go watch him pitch. And it's going to be exciting every time. It's like we talk about the innings limit and the pitch count, how it should be managed. I'll be all be forgotten like in the first inning when he just goes 98, 98, 90 slider off the deck. <laughs> And I'll just be, I'll probably be watching the game while listening to the, while recording the podcast I did for most of 2013, just like making Keith Hernandez sexual noises. <laughs> you and Rob, like, what? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I'm yeah, sorry. Like, I'm sorry. We, I got to stop the podcast now. Matt Harvey just did something stupid. <laughs> Looking forward to that. But in, in the, in the spirit, as this podcast occasionally engages in, Actual analysis, genuine analysis. In that, in this spirit of genuine analysis, what do you really expect from Matt Harvey this year? I would be surprised. I would be surprised if he didn't have an ERA below three. Like that. That I think that would surprise me, especially given in this run environment. You know, forget about the innings pitched and and uh, all that. I, it would surprise me if he was his ERA wasn't under three because when you think about, I mean, he's pitched, he's pitched like two hundred thirty innings, whatever. He's over over two se- two seasons, both years he had, um, you know, sub three ERAs, and, and obviously ERA is is not something that you can fully control. Uh, you know, there's, there's factors that are out of your out of your uh, hands there. You know, bat- batting average and balls in play and things like that, but. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's one of the more things that you know. It's one of the things that actually matter. Um, you know, how many runs you give up, or you know, you could change it does that. Still to, matter, yes. Yeah, you could change it to runs allowed per nine or something like that. But if it wasn't below three, I would be surprised. How many pitchers would you take over him in baseball over the next three seasons? I mean, not. Not more than five. I, I, I and that's with sort of the, there's still a little uncertainty. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. Yeah, I mean, who are you going to take? You're going to take Scherzer. You know, you're going to take Shaw. Sale. Uh, although he has a broken sale. foot. You wouldn't take Sale? I, I might not take Sale. I don't know, man. I like Chris Sale. I like Chris Sale, too. I like him a lot. <laughs> I mean, like Kershaw, Scherzer, Felix. Probably the list. Yeah, you know, there's still some uncertainty because, you know, you, there's still that question mark about how he comes back and, and if he's going to be who he was, you know, beforehand. Uh, but all reports seem to be, I mean, he's 18 months or whatever removed yep. from and the he's surgery. Saying, I mean, he's saying all the right things. You know, I feel great. I feel like I never left. You know, Terry Collins already had sort of the quote of the spring with, you know, stinking dynamite or whatever. Right. So it's not like it's, it's not like he's hit a wall in his recovery. I mean, he's recovered, you know, and it's it's just about ramping it up and getting it up to game game speed. And uh, you're right; there's not really that that many that many starters. I mean, you couldn't really make an argument for more than ten guys that you probably would take over him. I mean, and and look, that that might be a lot, um, but there is some uncertainty there. Yeah, I'm still gonna have like that sort of sharp intake of breath. I think when he first takes the mound, I'm scheduled for like game four or something. I think they have lined up so he can pitch the second game of that they're home on that home stand. Um, there's been that like, sort of sharp intake of breath when he first takes the mound, and then I fully expect him just like I said, 98, 98, 90 mile an hour slider off the deck. It's like, oh <laughs> yeah, I remember this. This was good. This is good. Should probably take my pants off now. <laughs> That's the only thing I've missed is like the curiously sexual Matt Harvey tweets when he's pitching yeah. on Twitter. Yeah. The one good thing Twitter is for. Yeah. It gets just really uncomfortable on Twitter during Matt Harvey starts. I also love the, the post that um, will gif every strikeout that he has you know, during his starts. I'm sure we'll do that for every <laughs> season too because they're just all awesome. I know. It's just so much fun. Matt Harvey's a badass. Yeah. Yes, he is. And he wrote about going to, was it Indonesia? I don't remember now. I think it was Indonesia. Uh, yeah, I think In it the was. Players Tribune. It's just like a weird thing. It's like, he's such a... 
on one level, it's like, oh, I think Matt Hardy would be cool to hang out with. On another level, it's like, nah, probably not really, though. Well, <laughs> you nah, end up I mean, somewhere at 2 a.m. because he'd talk you into something. <laughs> it's like the flip side of the, of the Werner, going out for drinks with Werner Herzog, I think. <laughs> it might be. ending up like, you know, shot in the leg in Jersey City or something. You end up in just some, like, terrible bottle service club at 2 in the morning yes. in Manhattan. Yes. And he's just, like, singing along to whatever, like, Biggie track is playing on the uh, soundtrack. Hey, you're just like, I mean, just go home now. Like, this bottle of Ciroc isn't worth it, really, dude. I'll do it once. I'll do it once. It would definitely be worth it once. Right. <laughs> of course, Matt Harvey isn't the only thing worth noting or talking about in the Matt starting rotation. And even if he was, it's, this is the starting rotation preview, so we're going to go through all of them. <laughs> Tell me a little about Zach Wheeler. Uh, there's two different things I want to cover with Wheeler. I'll start with this simple question. Is this the year that Zach Wheeler takes a step forward? It's tough. To, I mean, it's tough to say. It's, it's it, as he is right now, he's, he's good. You know, he's above average. And so yeah, I would say average ish. Yes. If you want to go above average, I'm not going to say I'll go slightly above average. And it was slightly above average. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to hedge my best. And, right. But when you have that projection as a, as a minor leaguer, as a guy who could be a number one, number two starter, he has not reached that level yet. So you still have some things um, that you're yearning for there. And there's obvious things that he can improve upon. You know, obviously his, his changeup is not, not the best. Uh, the curveball could use some, I mean, just a little bit more consistency. So you know, there's definitely areas to improve there. The problem is that he's always been a guy who's had, um, you know, his, his mechanics have been uh, shifting day to day, basically, you know, and he, he, he is a tinkerer. Right. So when you have a guy like that, it, it, consistency is always going to be a struggle, I feel. And so I, I, I'm, skeptical of him ever reaching that, you know, number one, number two starter guy. But um, I think that there's definitely some room for improvement there. And, uh, you know, to answer your question, I don't think that he's going to make that leap to an elite status this year. I just think he's going to maybe, if he's going to improve, he's going to be improving to above average, well above average. Yeah, I don't, it's like one of those things like, oh, he puts it together and you're like, oh, of course he did. But sometimes those guys just don't. Or he'll have a number two type season sort of mixed in there every once in a while. Like A.J. Burnett, who's a guy he gets comp to constantly. Or Homer Bailey, who had that big season for the Reds. That was 2013, 2012. They all blend mm-hmm. together after a while. Yeah. Um, and like, oh, he's finally reaching. They went back to being kind of like, you know, a number three starter. And right. look, if Zach Wheeler's number three starter, that's great. Yeah. Yes. But you can't help but think there's a little bit more there. And I just, yeah, there's a change-up issue. There's the curveball issue. I've always liked to slider more. So there's going to be the platoon split issue, which sort of takes us to sort of the next topic. Zach has been in the news this week as uh, as a guy that Sandy Alderson mentioned at the Sloan uh, conference this week. as someone they've stopped shifting as much behind because he complained about it. And I actually had uh, Jeff Zimmerman run the numbers. And he's actually done quite well when they shift behind him. So there's not even like a... Obviously, it's going to be a small sample size. I think it was like 22 balls in play or whatever. But there's not even really sort of like the anecdotal evidence. We always just had a bad year with them shifting in front of him. He saw a bunch of ground balls he thought would have been fielded and get through, which could happen in the sample size of 22. But that didn't even happen. Which was sort of the only question I had. Is this something that... that that he saw and not really maybe he's just remembering that of course you probably just remember the two or three times it gets through versus the 15 times that daniel murphy was in the right spot but is this something that concerns you with wheeler is this like a you know you want to question his mental toughness i think that's stupid but the fact that i don't and i don't care if players believe analytics i really don't um your field staff should be able to take the information coming from your front office, and I want to be clear, every front office uses analytics, and translate it into something 
you know, that they can use to improve in some way. You know, shifts shifting in front of you know your classic lefty pole hitter or whatever being sort of the most stark example to the player because it's something they're not that's not that's unusual. It stands out from what is normal to them when they're pitching. But Wheeler does not seem to be adversely affected due to his stuff, at least in the very, very, and I want to be clear, not meaningful sample size of 22 balls in play. Right. But I, you can find the Jeff Zimmerman tweet he tweeted out. I think it was 220 BABIP against roughly 290 or 300. It was the league BABIP when uh, teams shifted. Right. Well, I, I have an issue... I'm going to have an issue with anybody who's not receptive to information, you know, and that, and that type of thing. So like when, when somebody comes out and says that they're not an analytics guy or they don't believe in it that much, like that, that, that always disappoints me a little bit because I want my guys to be open-minded and open to new information. You know, and ultimately I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact. I mean, there's going to be a couple of balls probably that roll through the infield because they're not doing the shift or whatever. Um, but it's a little disappointing to hear that he, he's not, he's not for it. Uh, and that the front office was not able to present the information to him in such a way that he's understood why they were doing it. Um, and it, if he's going to get so bothered by it though, you know, that it affects, they had to stop doing it because he's affected by it. And so you want to say mental toughness, whatever, but like, why is he getting so upset about it that it's it's something they can't even do? You know, it's a little it's a little offsetting. I think it is a little bit of sort of like I don't want to say uh, survivor bias, kind of actually the opposite of that. But you know, you remember the balls that get through. You don't remember the routine plays that yeah were just grounded into the shift because they're just yeah. outs. And all you know, if you're a major league pitcher, I would assume you don't remember the routine ground balls. You don't remember the easy outs. Right. You remember that guy who bunted down the line or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or whatever. You, that, that sticks in your craw. You know, there's one and other the thing. The kind of stuff that sticks in your craw is, is that. It's the it's the sawed-off end of the bat past David Wright in the shortstop position from, you know, Pedro Alvarez or whatever. Yeah, and, and there's some other scenarios where the Mets did not employ the shift properly last year when there was a guy on third base and like he, he broke for home and there was a guy on first and they like they i don't know if you remember what i'm talking about but it ended up the guy ended up scoring because the guy was running between first and second so the mets didn't exactly employ these shift a hundred percent accurately and i'd be curious to know if wheeler was the guy on the mound when when that happened last year because that that's something that could stick in that would stick with you yeah. and to be fair to zach wheeler he's one of the I think actually is the, as far as the starters go, the the most ground ball dominant pitcher. And regardless of shift or not shift, the infield defense probably didn't do him a ton of favors last year. They probably won't do him a ton of favors this year either. But I don't. I don't. Like I said, I'm I'm not as concerned. The receptive to information thing, yes, you have to present it in the right way. You know, you have to be able to get buy in from your field staff, um, and they have to be able to get buy in from the players. You know, Pittsburgh's been very good at that, but even they had issues. I think it was A.J. Burnett that really did not like the shift in front of him. He didn't like the whole thing where they just told him to throw two-seam fastballs here and it'll work out for you. You know, some guys are like that. And I don't, you know, A.J. Burnett, obviously more of a veteran at the time than uh, Wheeler is now. But I don't have a huge problem with it. And, you know, lefties killed him. I don't say lefties killed him last year. He has a pronounced split against lefties. But it really doesn't have a ton to do with... You know, ground balls, finding holes in the shift. There's a little more power on contact there. You know, you, the strikeout to walk, or the K percentage minus walk percentage isn't there. And that's just more of a stuff profile issue. Uh, you know, he doesn't really have an out pitch against lefties. You know, the, sort of the, his two best pitches are his fastball and his slider. And they w- will tend to have a more pronounced platoon split than the curveball, which, as you say, comes and goes. And the changeup, which is pretty much non-existent for him at this point. So, if you want to sort of tie it back into my original question, is there going to be a breakout for Zach Wheeler? If there's going to be a breakout. It's going to come with improvements against lefties in whatever form that takes. Because against righties, he's essentially a number two starter. 
But once Basically, teams yeah. figure out they can sort of load up lefties against me, your lefty platoon bats are going to get starts against Wheeler. Everyone has the splits. They all got their Joe Girardi binders. If they have the opportunity or, and the right personnel to exploit that, they will. And I think it will continue to be an issue until the stuff takes a step forward. All that said, I love Zach Wheeler. I, I really do. I like this stuff a lot. I always have. I'll say this for the umpteenth time on the podcast. You know, I saw his two worst starts when he was in Binghamton, and I knew he was going to be a major league arm and a good one. I still think that. You know, It's all there. It's just you know, sometimes power pitchers put it together late. And he really hasn't thrown that many mailing like Matt Harvey. It's been you know 250-ish major league innings. And he's still quite young. I don't worry about him. I'm not going to impinge his his mental toughness because of whatever you know quotes came out this week. It's March. The March news cycle, as we all learned today, recording this on Tuesday night, the March news cycle is terrible. Don't read anything into the March news cycle, please. Yeah. I'm actually surprised that, you know, they didn't discuss potentially, ex- you know, offering Wheeler an extension this year. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I have no idea. That gets into like payroll and loan covenant stuff and how much money they can guarantee how many years out. And I don't have that conversation either. No, I that just mean, off a uh, entire sidecar, which was supposed to get me through the entire podcast. And we're on two of five starters. <laughs> Plus emails in your IFK Gothenburg update. So, so let's let's move let's, let's move it along to Jacob Degrom, who has his second best hair on the uh, 2015 Mets. Another guy where I feel like the podcast has been very, let's say, pessimistic, but very cautious. Yeah. Yep. When it's come to guys like Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler and Jacob Degrom going into 2015. So we just take a moment to sort of bask in how good Jacob Degrom is, especially considering where the expectations were going into next last year. Yeah, like I saw him. I don't know if it was July or yeah, it was July. I think because he got a fair he got a fair amount of run out in in AAA in 2013. I saw him in July, you know, at New Britain pitching for Binghamton. It was just miserable. One of those like ninety-seven degree and two point of seventy-five at game time, just brutally humid. My Sheffield Wednesday hat is sticking to my forehead, kind of day <laughs> behind home plate. And you know what? He just didn't. It just wasn't there for him. He was like ninety-one to ninety-four. He'd flash a good changeup. He'd flash a good slider, but it just wasn't. You know, it was just a miserable day to pitch. And I'm like, this doesn't really move the needle for me. He looks like a 4-5 or five starter, probably an 8th inning guy. And then it's one of those things where the slider goes from flash 55 to sit 50, and the changeup goes from flash 55 to sit 55. And when it's not some miserable end-of-the-season July game in New Britain, you get, like, bees attacking you or whatever, which can happen there, by the way. <laughs> Many a many a uh, game I've been at where you, you find out like hornets or whatever are nesting in the chain link fence around the. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> hey, that happens at major league games too. It does too. Yeah, and they got scorpions in Arizona too. <laughs> oh. Fuck that. You know, when you're not in that situation, all of a sudden, no, it picks up to ninety three to ninety five. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to say any of us should have seen it because sometimes that stuff just happens. And Mets fans have been a bit spoiled by guys like Matt Harvey and Jacob DeGrom sort of taking that big step forward at the major league level. I don't know if that's a sustainable competitive advantage or something they're doing in their player development system, whether it's the magic of the Johan Santana changeup grip or their roving pitching structure, the Dan Worthen slider. But it's worked out well for them. And Jacob DeGrom, you know, I fully expect to be a very good major league pitcher this year. I, yeah, very good. I mean, well above average, I, ex- I would expect. I wouldn't expect him to regress to a league average level uh, next year, considering where he was 
this past year. I mean, obviously there there's some some factors to consider in his performance last year. It, you know, whether it's the quality of the opponents and who he's facing, or you know, whatever it might be. There's but, 140 innings, and there's a full year of advanced scouting now. Yeah, you can say you know, use the old uh, sort of cliche, and the book might be out on him. But you know, if the book's out on him, it's a you know, it's a five pitch pitcher. He can mix his stuff. He can change eye levels with two fastballs, and he has two certainly usable at the major league level off speed offerings, and sort of a show me curve. That's more than enough to get guys out. And even even if he does regress, and I think he will, I think I've been clear about that on the podcast. I I don't think he'll be as good on a rate level in 2015 as he is as he was in 2014. He's probably going to throw more innings, with the usual caveats about pitcher health. And by, you know, what do you want to use, ERA? If you want to use FIP? He was a top 20 pitcher in baseball last year. So he can regress a fair amount and still be a very, very good starting pitcher. He had a 78 ERA minus last year, which is, you know, ridiculous. So he's got some room, you know, to regress in there and still be well above average. So I'm still expecting a very... Uh, above average season from him, which is um, just a like we've like we've talked about. It's a great outcome for this guy, and it's just a it's like a treat for all of us and uh, as Met fans because it's not something that we were anticipating coming into last year. I had a working computer pull up my Jacob Degrom report that from that year and pull out some choice quotes that make me look like an idiot because I like doing that. I do not have a working computer, however, so. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move on to Bartolo Colon and Johnny's. Um, something that got cut out of my uh, hit with ESPN and Radio Albany. That's fine. We talked for a long time. I don't. I don't mind that at all. Um, the host Brady asked me who sort of the most frustrating Met in recent history was, and I couldn't come up with a good answer. So I went to. Uh, I rambled for a bit, which is probably why I got cut out of the interview. Hey, uh... But I started with Johnny's. And that's not fair to John Neese, probably. <laughs> but, you know, you look at a guy, it's before last year's velocity dip, and, you know, low 90s on the left side, that sort of like big, loopy hammer curve. Eh, hammer is probably too strong. <laughs> but good major league <laughs> curve. And when he came up, he had a pretty good changeup that Dan Worthen maybe didn't let him throw as much as might have been useful to him. And he added a cutter. It just feels, you know, there, there were injury issues. You have that, you know, big one-inning blow-up issues. You'd have a couple starts where he just got shelled, then he looked great. He just, I, he was frustrating in a way where it feels like he should be, this guy should be a number three starter in the majors. He never, he showed that at times, but never quite got there. Yep. Right. I mean, he's a guy who they extended in a year where he, you know, he had the FIP that was you know, over a run below his ERA. And you're, so you're anticipating this you know, guy who's going to improve and get a lot better. I mean, and the ERA did come down quite a bit thereafter, but he's, he's never actually you know, taken it to the next level. He's just, he's just kind of been muddling around in that number four you know, starter area, and you're just like, when you have a number four starter, it's like, what do I even do with you? Because you're not that good, but you're not that bad. And like, yeah, it's, it's almost like it's hard to get attached to a number four starter. <laughs> yeah. Like, aesthetically, it is. Like, <laughs> I can appreciate a good number five starter. Don't get me wrong. I love number five starters. Nelson Figueroa loved him. You know, Colin McHugh, before he became, like, Colin McHugh, the good starter. Yeah. Um, you guys that project as number five starters, maybe. You're Darren Gorski's, you're Mark Cahoon's. But the number four starter, and the guys that, like, a like, mid-rotation starter, that's nice. Rafael Montero, mid-rotation starter. Gabriel, you know, a mid-rotation starter. That's a great, great outcome. The number four starter, it's just, it's a weird spot. Yeah. Yeah, it's like I don't even know how to feel about you. <laughs> I don't. You, like, you're not scrappy enough to be like a number five starter. Like the number four starter should always like be better than he <laughs> yeah. is. I feel like 
The number four starter is like the number three starter that doesn't quite reach it. It's projection. It's like Mike Pelfrey-ish. Yeah. Pelfrey was kind of like the number four starter. Uh, that's At least as a match. No, I think it's fair. I yeah, have to go back up the numbers, which I can't do because yeah. I do not have a working computer. Well, I suppose I could pull this up on my phone. And now the, the other thing is too with Nice is that he has never thrown two hundred innings in, in a season. That's why he's, really the only reason that Nice is a number four starter and not a number three starter is for that reason. He like on a right level. You can make a case he's a number three starter. I'm very slowly putting up my stats so I can pull up nieces right now. But, you know, if you're a league average starter that throws 200 innings a year, I will write you down as a number three because innings have value. Because he's more like 160 to 180, he falls more into the number four starter range for me. I'm going to guess Palfrey was like 95. Yeah. Well, I kind of bounced around. <laughs> yeah, he did. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah, so it's fine. It's about 5% worse than average by FIP. He had well, that every other year thing. During his, yeah, so during his Mets career, I'll throw out the years with the Twins when he was terrible. And they just signed him to like a long-term deal, not a long-term deal, but a multi-year contract too. Recently? No, not recently. I think before, after the 2013 season. I thought I yeah, yeah, he had, a, he had a two-year, 11-year deal. Which was deal. good. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. but So as a Met, yeah, he had the every-other-year thing. I really should be at baseball reference because then I can just look at the numbers of the Mets, which would make sense. <clears throat> well, yeah, in 2008... I don't actually three... like F-War, so I don't know why I'm on F-War. I'm bad because I don't want to do it based on FIP. The site is killing me today. Um... But he threw 200 innings in 2008 at a 3.72 ERA, which translated and to that's an 89 ERA. Let me pull up his actual Met stats. <laughs> uh, player value pitchers. That's what I want. All right, so yeah, I'm gonna guess he put up a 4.65 run average, where you would expect. An average pitcher to put up a... Oh, that's actually a little bit worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> All right, maybe he's a number five starter. Yeah. Yeah, all right, he's more like a number five starter. <laughs> I stand corrected by baseball reference. Which will happen. In my heart of hearts, though. Aesthetically, he was a number four starter to me. But with, with Nice, it's the same kind of... Issue. At least Pelfrey was durable. Well, yeah, I want to give him extra credit for being durable. But he and, was also more highly well, regarded. That's true. Well, Nice, nice made a top 100 list. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no, he wasn't. A, yeah, he wasn't as highly regarded as Pelfrey. Fine. We're talking about Bartolo Colon because that makes me happier usually. Yes, yeah, so please. Do you think Bartolo Colon ends the season as a New York Mets? That's a good question. Yeah, I think that under ideal circumstances, probably not. But I just don't. I don't see them. I don't see them trading him because I feel like if they're going to trade him, they're probably going to have to eat some money, and I don't see them eating money. So well, by the time we get to July thirty first, they're it's not that much. What a couple million, million, five million. I think they can. And somebody's going to need. He got some interest last year at the deadline. Tepid though it may be, but on a you know a team just needs a fifth starter, someone that's going to hold down the fort, be close to league average. Which I think Cologne can do. I think he'll be a little bit better this year than he was last year, which is weird to say about a dude that's what forty two. <laughs> yeah, well, his ERA wasn't that great last year. And by the same token, if he's really bad, you know it's not that much money to eat to find somebody to take a spot, whether it's Montero or Syndergaard and Matt's 4C issue. But something about Bartolo Colon playing baseball makes me happy. Eh, he's he's just the kind of guy who just you know goes out there, he doesn't really give too much of a shit, and he seems to be happy while he's doing it, so... Like, uh, what was that Kevin Co- terrible Kevin Costner movie? Uh, like The Perfect Game or something like For that. For the Love of the Game? Love of the Game, there you go. If If they remade For the Love of the Game... 
with Bartolo Colon's with Kevin Costner, <laughs> I would watch the fuck out of it. Right, but who's he having a relationship with? Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. You can find somebody. Yeah. Bartolo Colon's a lovable dude. I'm... It'd be the Spanish version of uh, that movie, yeah. It'd be good. Oh, I should, well, if I hadn't drank that entire sidecar and had access to Google Translate, I'd tell you what that is in Spanish. <laughs> I always, even when I, and I got like a four on my AP Spanish exam. Maybe I got a five on my AP Spanish exam. <laughs> I certainly passed it. How have I got a four or a five? But I still always had poor Ipara issues. I think this would be a poor, though. I took some Duolingo. Poor I did some Duolingo El stuff. Amor del Partido. Does any uh, Spanish-speaking listeners that want to email or tweet me and correct that, feel free. It's in the ballpark. But everything about Bartolo Colon is great. Bartolo, like, Bartolo Colon is pitching Thursday with Gabriel you know, backing him up. And it's like, it's not on TV or radio. It just makes me angry. There'll be no record. There'll be no, some, there'll be no record of this game existing in any sort of media. Other than tweets by beat writers. Yeah. It's not the same. It's yeah. like that Wonder Years episode where Kevin runs into the alien in the planetarium. Or the guy that claims he's an alien. Uh, like the Johnny Unitas broadcast. You don't remember this? You don't watch the Wonder Years? I did watch the Wonder Years. That's why I know my wife here. She's watched like every episode of the Wonder Years like three times. I have vague I memory of it. Jess, can you come in here for a second? <laughs> Bring her in. Let's see if this actually works. She's watching the Gilmore Girls in the living room. I am, yeah. Because I have a Wonder Years question. Oh, God. Wild. <laughs> I know. Have, do you remember the episode of the Wonder Years where Kevin's in the planetarium and he runs into the guy that thinks he's an alien? Mm, not really. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't if it's not involving Kevin and Winnie, I probably don't remember. I thought they might have both been in the planetarium. Is this like after like she was at a different school or something and he saw her randomly? I, I thought it was an earlier episode than that, but... I don't know. All right, now you can go back to watching the Gilmore Girls. That's fine. <sighs> the Wonder Years kills me, man. So there's an episode of the Wonder Years. Take my word for it. I'm sure I have all of them on my computer. If you, I, I don't have time to check that now. No, I, I there's an episode that. of the Wonder Years. How does it how does it relate to Bartolo Colon? <laughs> I'm getting there. There's an episode of the Wonder Years where Kevin runs into this this like dorky kid in a planetarium that claims he's an alien. As I recall, claims he came to Earth after hearing the radio broadcast of Johnny Unitas in like the you know the greatest game ever played, the championship game against the Giants. Yep. So I'm just saying that if there's if there's a radio broadcast of the Bartolo Colon and Gabriel Yanoa <laughs> game, at some point in the future <laughs> it would reach aliens. And they'll be able to report back. Bring about, yeah, report back or bring about some sort of universal peace, I feel like. <laughs> That's all hey. I'm saying. You're not entirely wrong. We should but, really probably move on. But well, look, Bartolo Colon's probably going to pitch a little better. I would, I would think that he's going to pitch a little bit better than his 4.09 ERA last year, and probably closer to that FIP of 3.6, and, and that will be uh, you, you and know? your FIP. Hey, look, it's a good stat. Anyway, so. Uh, that would be a perfectly cromulent outcome. Assuming that doesn't happen, the Mets do have some good pitching prospects in reserve. Rafael Montero, we saw a little bit of last year. <sighs> Noah Syndergaard, who clearly is not mature enough to play in New York. And Steven Matz, who I have called on multiple occasions on this podcast a motherfucker. So of those three, who do you think throws the most innings for the 2015 Mets? Probably Noah Syndergaard. I think that he's at the point where if somebody goes down, let's say let's say 30 games into the season, okay? Yeah, so, so whatever, the, the extra year yeah, control, April let's, 20th. Let's say they're 500, and let's say Bartolo Colon strings, strains his uh, you know hamstring or whatever. Or Johnny's his shoulder finally explodes. Yeah, you know, any, any number of scenarios that could happen. You know, this is a year where they want to compete and they want to you know, make a push for the playoffs. Who's, who do you think is going to give them the best chance to get to that point? I mean, if you look at the projections systems and if you, if you just kind of look with your eyes, uh, you would think that Syndergaard's probably that guy. So 
you would think that that's where they would go if if that kind of scenario comes up. So, which is probably likely. So, I, I think that it's probably going to be Noah Syndergaard. I think he's probably going to throw like over a hundred uh, innings as a starter for Ooh. the team. Yeah, it's a lot of innings. Hundred innings, man. You know, is that, is that aggressive? Eighteen to eighteen starts, probably. I mean, like, what what, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, are they going to pull G from the bullpen and start? I mean, a Dylan G start. I don't know. That's a, a Dylan G start. I don't have these answers for you. Well, look, there's a million scenarios that we can go through, right? I mean, to to kind of project this whole. I thing think out. it's unlikely that Dylan G is a Met on April twenty seventh. Hey, I mean, look, Dylan G is a nice guy, but I'm all for that. Well, you're, I mean, Dylan G will be a Texas Ranger, and Jerkson Profar will be a Met. Clearly. Hey, hey, yeah, all problems solved. We have an email about that, which we're about to get to. Um, I just always, I don't know, I don't want to double down on my MLB Network appearance to say it's going to be Steve Matz because Steve Matz is a motherfucker, but. I have this weird feeling about the way the organization, you're just little whispers around the organization that guys like Matt's more, which is fine. There's never going to be a, this kind of stuff isn't going to be unanimous. It's just, I don't know. I can see Matt's getting shelled in Vegas too, because it's Vegas. So Matt's is the easy guy to like coming off a dominant double A season, much like Noah Syndergaard was coming into 2014. He was, he was extremely dominant yeah, in so Binghamton. What I do know is that's your starting pitching preview for the 2015 Mets. Don't include Rafael Montero, who I think will throw innings for the 2015 Mets. And I still think he's going to be better than he was last year. But we'll move on to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. This is episode 106 of Mason Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. You can find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. Follow us on Twitter at Amazing Avenue. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash Amazing Avenue fans. I guess we're also on Instagram, also at Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com backslash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. I probably won't tweet ever again after today, though. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. Our first email is from Rob. Dear Baseball Illuminati. Please, please confirm that the rumored deal of jerks and profile for Dylan G and pieces, pieces are in quotes, will be consummated. Please also detail what these pieces will comprise. If the Mets can get profile for G and say Montero and Mazzoni, I will stop spreading the rumor that something slanderous about Jeff Wilpon that I cannot say on the podcast. Yours in the fight, Rob. <laughs> I would love to confirm this. I have no hashtag sources. Is that something you would do? If I had hashtag sources, confirm it. Oh, the trade? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but neither team is going to do this. I think that's a lot to give up. For Jerks and Profar? For a guy who's that injured? G, Montero, and Mazzoni? Yeah, and the heartbeat. Nah, I don't know. Always bet on tools, man. Guy doesn't have an arm. Training two four starters and a potential seventh inning guy, and my dog has gotten into the bathroom trash again, apparently. <laughs> Quizzy. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Yes, I would do it. The Rangers, no way in hell. They're, they're trading as low as possible. And doesn't really do the Mets much good, frankly, either. Because of the risk that entails dealing for a dude that needs season-ending shoulder surgery in March after missing all of 2014. I don't know the track record. You know the track record for guys who have been hurt that much hurt, missed that much time. Not that good. much hurt. Yeah, that much. Hurt. Yeah, that was very that's good. Very hurt. Very, very, <laughs> very hurt. good English there. <laughs> 
I don't I don't know. Um, this was reported by Chris Catello of the what is it MLB Daily Dish or whatever on SB Nation. Yeah, and, and, and he, has look, bro- he has broken several major trades. He has. He was length, immediately shot down by every beat writer in New York. Yeah, from what length, I understand, I went to bed at nine thirty last night and I woke up to this. The language that was used in the post was typical, like just very uh, vague and you know being thrown around in baseball circles. It's like it's yeah, like, in the interest of being a company man, I won't comment further. We'll move on to our next email. <laughs> it's from Tom, gents. Where does eh, we got We're gonna do this. We're gonna do it, Greg. Where does Bobby Parnell throws out Noah Syndergaard's lunch? Right, come on the great spring training controversies that everyone will have forgotten about by mid-April. This has to be even more scandalous than Rumantada showing up not early that one year, right? What's your favorite? We need to write about something. So here's something spring training story. I'll hang up and listen. Tom and Tom also adds that his uh, uh his photo the photo day fight from 1989 is his favorite. Um. Easily, the winner for me, I don't say easily, it was a photo finish. I said easily before I thought of the joke, but I then thought of the joke. The winner for me by a nose is obviously Carlos Beltran not paying for John Neves' nose job. (laughs) (laughs) That's really So this kind of shit happens all the time in spring when there's some rookie in camp. And I know this is Syndergaard's second major league camp, but whatever. It just happened to happen in front of the media. Nothing in your life has changed because Bobby Parnell threw out Noah Syndergaard's lunch. Bobby Parnell comes off as a bit of a jerk, but not so much so that I'm going to say, you know, it's by baseball standards, not that much of a jerk. Yeah, I mean, he did come off like a bit of a jerk. Uh, not so much for what he did, but for the quotes in the media afterwards. It's a little too close as you know, Billy Wagner and the, whatever it was. Shut your face, Rook, or whatever note he left on Lasting Miller's locker. Yeah. For my personal taste, but I don't have to live with these guys 120 days, 162 games a season, 180 days out of the year on flights and bus trips and anything else. So, right. I think that, you know, without him, this probably isn't a story. I, you know, right talks to Syndicate, you know, it's fine. Um, I think this is gonna. This is gonna be the. Uh, you know, hopefully, this is the most memorable thing that happens in spring training this season because uh, it sure beats a rash of intercostal strains. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Like I said, if it didn't happen in front of the media, it would be a non-story. Yeah, it's really this kind of stuff happens. So slightly yeah. more public, you know, wearing the hello oh, kitty backpack out to the bullpen is all it is. And, you know, Syndergaard, to his credit, for whoever, whatever WFAN dudes might be taking victory laps on Twitter right now, I thought Syndergaard handled it fairly well with the media afterwards. Yeah, he was definitely. So he did not whatever. put Jordani Valdespin and start, like, trashing the locker room. Yeah. No, it's a... It's a it is interesting. It's an interesting story to, to just hear and, and take in. You know, is I'm not going to say that he's a he's a new worker that understand workplace culture gets quietly taken aside and ex- explained to it. And because it's a, it's sports, it's more of a sports kind of story. But yeah, and if you want to read about, I mean, read Mark Carrig's uh, take because th- that that's the most reasonable one you're going to read. And it just the way he writes it, it just Sounds all sounds very reasonable. As long as you know, Noah Syndergaard doesn't hit like Adeline Rodriguez in an inter squad game a few weeks from now, we'll be fine. <laughs> Forgot about that. Yeah, something that happened. Um, but yeah, I'm, go- I'm going with the John Neese nose job, the outstanding bill for the John Neese nose job. You got one? Uh, I just, I don't retain this information as well. That's, as, that's as... a perfectly reasonable answer. You shouldn't. Yeah. But I'll, shouldn't. I'll go with, I'll go with the Ruben Tejada thing because that's yeah, what stuck fine. around. James K already has so much material for his like forgotten first half net stories. Oh yeah. We should create like a notebook and like, just kind it's of March 3rd and he already has an entire like. 2,000 words easily. 
That's good times. It's been a crazy day, so I, I will one more time check my email to make sure that uh, nobody else has emailed the podcast, and they haven't, so those were your emails. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast.amazingavenueaudio.com. And that just about wraps things up for episode 106 of Amazing Avenue Audio. But since last week, we officially adopted IFK Gothenburg as our soccer team of the podcast. I felt like I should give you an update. I did find out also uh, this week that uh, apparently they have dire financial issues. But that that fits. That's way too close to home. Well, whatever. It's within everyone's comfort range here, I feel like. Yeah. Is this the Swedish league? Is that is that right? It is. Okay. Is this the, the same uh, league Spenskin. as like we're actually talking about this week, we're talking about the What do you got? Well, I say that again, I missed you. The All Svenskin. All Svenskin. All Svenskin. Okay. <laughs> but they're currently uh that doesn't actually start till April. Right now they're doing the Swedish Cup or the Svenskin Cuppen. Is this the same league as Ajax or is that the Netherlands? Ajax and it's Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the show, you never say Ajax. something out loud. <laughs> that was a character in Mortal Kombat, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the name of my soap. Yeah. <laughs> they're in uh, Group 2. And at the top of Group 2 on goal difference right now because they won their uh, second Svenskin Kuppen game. 6-0. Okay, so we're rooting for a second division Swedish team. No, they're the first division Swedish oh, okay. <laughs> They've won UEFA Cups. Which team has won UEFA Cups? IFK Gothenburg. Really? Yes, in the 80s. Oh, okay. With Roland Nielsen. Which one of the reasons I picked them. Also, one of our Swedish listeners sent me a free shirt and scarf. So I have that hanging in my closet right now. <laughs> and I will wear it to our... Uh, Next live podcast. Uh, Lasse Vibe. I think it's Vibe. He's Danish, so it could be something else. But Lasse Vibe scored had a hat trick. He's our 2 and one striker for IFK Gothenburg. They won 6-0 to the top of their group in the uh, Svenskan Kupen. So it's good news for IFK Gothenburg, if not good news for anyone that's a Mets fan and has to deal with Mets Twitter over the next 36 hours or so. And with your weekly uh, Svenskin Cup and update, we'll wrap things up here for episode 106. I hope to have slightly more normal podcasts for 107. Because Chris is going to be in Port St. Lucie and can't set this up for us next week, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I have so I will no figure idea something out. That, I may so. just snag a laptop and maybe actually try out like the uh, live recording feature for Blog Talk I should, instead of having to try to fumble through Skype or just steal my dad's laptop. For a week. Do you want to hear me call in on the iPhone? I have no idea how long this was. How long was this? I think less than an hour. Uh, it, I think so. I mean, we didn't get on the phone until 7.30. Yeah, we, so. and we'd be asked a bit before we actually started recording that I think Chris all has recorded. I think it might be sub-60 minutes, so. It's an accomplishment in and of itself. I agree. I, show. I am a fan. Probably not the start of a trend. We will have to <laughs> now. I've... I've I've uh, eliminated my one buffer week for Annalise previews. But we'll have the Phillies next week in some capacity. Liz Rocher making another return to the podcast to preview the uh, 2015 Phillies. Mostly talk about Cole Hamill's trade rumors and uh, why the traffic in New York and not New York, in New Haven is always terrible because it's always terrible. And I blame her because she works at Yale. And also, it'd just be fun to bag on the Phillies for 20 minutes. I haven't done that in a while. Yeah, that always makes me happy. So you have that to look forward to on next week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio. Chris, if you're listening, you can just cue up the death metal now. <laughs>